0: This is Moren for the Raw and Radical on Display podcast, conversations with amazing women in the arts. Welcome to Raw and Radical on Display. This is your host Moren, And today we are talking with Angela Fraley. Angela, you're a painter working with oil and mixed media. You also work with pencil and watercolors. You explore themes uh, such as femininity, sexuality, gender, and uh, most specifically power dynamics in a very unique uh, style that blends figurative painting, abstraction, classicism, and realism. You're also a professor
1: and a department chair.
0: So welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. I really like the way your work um, inspires uh, and touches various dimensions. It seems that um, your painting reach uh, and vibrates in an aura that is very big, mm. that transcend just the now. It it goes backwards and forwards, and it it creates a whole universe in themselves. I, I feel like we are very drawn to your paintings. It's almost mm. like we can enter them or 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 maybe they are entering our world. And I was wondering how you started to uh, to do those big scale paintings.
1: Mm. Thank you so much. That's such a beautiful <laughs> description of my work. I'm very flattered. Um, yeah. I mean, basically you described everything that I'm hoping the work does. I've been working large scale for a really long time since um, undergrads, actually, since uh, it's just a scale that I'm really comfortable at, but um, it also helps serve um, conceptual meaning in that for me, it's kind of taking these personal or intimate moments and really making them much more heroic. Um, we're forced to see intricacies of body language at that kind of scale, we're forced to view these, um, what would be in my more recent work, boudoir paintings, images yeah. of women that would kind of exist in the bedroom to inspire activities that would happen there. I've elevated these um, figures up to a much more heroic scale so that they kind of loom over us in a much more kind of powerful way it's hard to consume them in the same way you would if it were at that smaller easel painting scale. Um, They kind of hover over us instead of us kind of being, you know, looming over them. So that's important that the scale is there. I'm also really interested more recently too, in this idea of walking into an immersive space where I love that you kind of pulled that out because it's like, we're kind of sucked into this, space where it's almost like a feminist utopian space where the ghosts of the past or the um, figures of the future are kind of all around and maybe, you know, conjurings kind of unseen forces to, um, I don't know, change the experience that we're in right now for women specifically, but for all marginalized figures, I think.
0: Oh, I really like this idea, I think it's really nice. Uh, Kelly Baum, the contemporary curator at uh, the Metropolitan Museum, she talks about your work as uh, utopic provocations. Mm. And I think this is such good descriptions uh, because uh, they are utopic, but in a way they provoke reality Mm. and they really provoke us because some aspects of them are so realistic. And Mm -hmm. some aspects are so angel-like in a way. And um, so I really like this notion of uh, in your work that comes out of really creating uh, a new reality. And I was wondering if you can elaborate on this a little bit, you know, about how we can create uh, a reality and a completely new reality that you do for your paintings. But I think it goes much more further than that, right?
1: Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been toying with the notion it's something that's kind of been in the ethers for a while now for um, a lot of friends that I know, uh, this notion that we might create our own reality simply by thinking about them. Mm -hmm. There's also this idea that you get what you think about whether you want it or not, which I find really fascinating. And I kind of see it play out in my life on a regular basis. And so recently, I've been asking the question, if that's true, then what are we thinking about on a regular basis that has gotten us to the kind of political space that we're in right now, this kind of political landscape, our social realities, um, the kinds of division. And and we're in this really interesting time right now where all of the kind of uh, gunky, repressed, oppressed seems to be kind of coming to the surface. And Mm. the politicians, you know, well, in America, it's Trump and the Republican Party have actually created this incredible seedbed for all of this stuff to come up and out into the table. It's kind of like a real purging from my point of view. Anyway, seeing the real ugliness of where we are to some extent. Um, I mean, obviously, I was devastated in 2016 when <laughs> he was voted into office, but I'm actually now seeing it as a real opportunity to kind of see the kinds of things that we've created and where we can go from here. What can we create now um, that we see where we're at? And so from my point of view, I've been wanting to think about, well, what do I want instead of what don't I want? And what I do want is a kind of egalitarian society where people feel like they can make the lives that they want for themselves i want people to have more of an even playing field from the start i want systemic racism and systemic sexism and you know homophobia and all of these things to be um something of the past right or at least something that we're actively working against um or actively creating something in opposition to if that makes sense so rather than focusing on the stuff i don't want i'm focusing on what i do want and what i do want are these big utopian feminist societies that are much more nurturing and mm, not maternal but um where people feel comfortable and safe to create the world they want to live in so that's kind of what I'm making right now in my paintings yeah yeah, yeah. and to be themselves yeah like...
0: absolutely because when you think about it I mean everything that was ever created in this world whether it's a good thing or a bad thing came from an idea came from a thought and an impulsion from within in a way you know or through us or you know however you You believe works about creation, but it it comes from us. It comes from something completely immaterial. Yeah, and then we create it. So yeah, all the ugliness that is created and that has been created, you know, in our world comes from an idea and comes from a choice. And Mm. this is actually really amazing when you think about it, because. It was all made with a purpose, in a way. It was all created by choice, with a specific reason, Yeah, and this is nuts.
1: Well, I think even about the way in which you and I are able to talk right now came from a desire of people wanting to connect with people across the globe, <laughs> right? That's how we have the internet, that's how we have, you know, telephone structures, that's how we have, you know, all of the technology that we have available to us now came from a desire, came from nothing, Yeah. right?
0: <laughs> and that means that we are very powerful because mm-hmm. we can create anything. And and it's true that it's very difficult on a daily basis. And I would even go even further by saying on a momentary basis to really choose the thoughts we want to have, you know, because sometimes yeah. we lose control over that. And it's very easy to go into... Uh, you know, negativity and noise and all that. But to know that we have that power to choose the thoughts and to have a lot of power, you know, to actually create something new, it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. In your work, there is a lot of power dynamics. I mean, some of your you drawings and, and watercolor with two people in it, you can really feel that very strongly. And, uh, and I mean, through all your work, you can feel the power dynamic Mm -hmm. I wanted to bring out this idea of power dynamic and how it relates to your work and your life.
1: Yeah, I think from an early stage, I've been interested in power dynamics and how we get what we want with what we've got from where we are. Um, I've questioned that for a long time. Um, In the very beginning, and I think still now, I'm thinking about how meaning gets made. And by that, I mean how we come to believe the things that we believe. Because I think at the structure of all power dynamics, how people abuse power, how people gain power, it comes from what they believe. What Mm -hmm. they believe is possible, what they believe about themselves, what they believe about the world around them. And so early on, I was kind of looking just at the imagery around me, you know, looking at advertisements, looking at movies, looking at the ways in which people are portrayed in television series or literature. And... Wondering what kinds of um, subconscious messages were being sent in those spaces. So, wondering um, specifically about gender, because that was my own personal experience, um, but also about, you know, issues of race and class, um, economic stature, political structures, etc., So, you know, this was happening for me in the early 90s. Heroin chic was very in at the time. And so you were literally seeing these gorgeous women laying dead from an overdose in magazines. And that was there um, to kind of sell boots or whatever, (laughs) you know. So I was kind of curious about that. And then, you know, fast forward to different music videos or the ways in which women are portrayed in film. These are just the way, like... You know, we look at images and movies from 50 years ago and we can really see how stark um, these portrayals of women or people of color, how wrong they were. But what's happening right now in our current media structure that are still furthering those notions and kind of cementing those ideas of certain power dynamics? So I guess that's where my initial quest came from. Um, Currently I'm looking at how that functions in art history, in what seem like somewhat benign images of beautiful women. I'm curious how we can kind of activate those figures and um, see them anew by just deciding to.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Your work really questions the place of women through art history. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel you are changing the dynamic in a way. Uh, Mm. the way you place women in your work Mm -hmm. and bringing a new avenue and to me this is this is i mean there's something really fresh about it uh but something really new and there's almost some kind of a power shift Mm. do you see it the same way or
1: i hope that that's what the work is doing i'm not I'm never sure, you know, (laughs) That's just the the experience of being an artist, you kind of do the thing and then you hope it does the thing that you thought it might do in the beginning, but maybe doesn't do, I don't know. Um, but I'm working with images, um, that have been created either by women or by men of women throughout art history. But I'm also looking back to find any sort of invisible histories or dormant narratives, that surround women from art history. So, mm-hmm. for instance, I just did an exhibition at the Edward Hopper House Museum in Nyack, New yeah. York. It's Edward Hopper's boyhood home, and it's a small historic house in this beautiful little riverside town. Um, and. What I I knew when I was invited to make a proposal for the exhibition that I was going to do something in response to Edward Hopper's women, the women in his paintings, because oftentimes you can't quite see their face. They're somewhat isolated or alienated. They're in these quiet, um, you know, cityscapes or landscapes. Um, What I didn't know when I was doing research for the exhibition, though, is that almost all of the women after 1924 in his paintings are all of his wife, Joe. Jo. And Joe Hopper, Joe Nivison Hopper, was actually an artist, and she was far more well known than he was when they got married. But when they got married, her career tanked and his skyrocketed. And part of that was because of the work that she did to help him. She was exhibiting at the Brooklyn Museum of Art, and she convinced the curator to give up some of her wall space for his watercolors as well. Um, she also helped him sell a painting. He hadn't sold a painting in 10 years. Um, he was basically just getting by um, working as an illustrator. Um, and I just found it really fascinating, you know, what happened. Not only, you know, what happened to her work? Was her work just not of the caliber? Did did her work change? What did she do to help support him? Um, and so those were a lot of the questions that I asked. And The installation ended up being um the walls were covered with this wall treatment that was inspired by her palette she had a really vibrant kind of faux modernist palette thank you and then i and i then i painted these portraits of a contemporary model dressing up as joe dressing up for hopper's women because Mm. what i found interesting is you know she was posing for all these paintings but they were never of her they were always a stand-in for a woman And Hopper's even talked about the paintings as being about him. So I just, this notion of her kind of being seen through, even when she's being stared at, you know, I wanted to play with that idea and how that relates to contemporary concerns for women and women artists of today. Right. So that's what that work was about. And so I'm, you know, power dynamics, not only in terms of the way women's bodies are presented and used and more like vessels than you know thinking human beings um but also about these kinds of invisible stories that we're missing and that if I ask this question to myself all the time like if I had known about all these heroes if they were kind of the ones that were pitched to me would I be different would I feel more powerful as a woman and and can I do that for women coming forward can I help kind of create more stories of heroism that are female protagonist driven, yes. you yes. know, and, and what can that do for women moving forward? I guess that's always my question,
0: you know. Yeah, absolutely, and this is fascinating. When you talk about your work, you talk about uh, the fact that you alternate a lot between chance and control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really like this, um, this idea of, you know, having control, but also knowing when to let go. And, um, I think, I mean, this is a good metaphor for our lives in general, but I was wondering if you can talk a bit about that and explain your process.
1: Well, I don't know exactly when it started. I think I had a really bad critique from someone I really admire (laughs) about 15 years ago. (laughs) Um, he said something like, yeah, yeah, you know, these are, they're beautiful paintings, but they behave really well. And I thought that was just like a dagger in my heart, you know, like to create, I thought I was making these things that were, you know, rebellious and, you know, in your face and somewhat aggressive and to have them behave well, just felt like this good girl kind of thing. And I didn't want to have (laughs) (laughs) happening anymore. So I had been working with the canvases on the floor and I had a bunch of extra medium in my hand, you know, and I was still really kind of controlling about how I was putting paint on the canvas, even though they were horizontal not vertical and I just after this critique it wasn't like this kind of furious angered you know like aggressive but I but I ended up pouring a bunch of leftover stuff I had in a cup and I left and I came back the next day and what the medium and oil paint had done was move under this kind of wet figuration that I had created and it started to kind of canker and cover parts of the painting in ways that were so fascinating and so beautiful and grotesque at the same time that I then like decided to make it a very active part of my process and so since then I've been just really enamored and kind of seduced by the way in which kind of Paint could be an active participant. It could become a protagonist in the narrative. It could be this element that I don't control, but I get to play with and collaborate with, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. so. Absolutely. Um, but I can't give up my control because I love painting the way that I paint too. I love painting traditionally yeah. as well. So. Yeah, I don't know, and, and you know, some, it depends. Some people think it works well, some people think it doesn't work, and it doesn't matter because that's just, you know, where I'm at, it's what I do.
0: <laughs> I really like the contrast and the tension mm. between the two. Mm. I think it's uh, it's excellent. Thank you. And you know, I use also, a, you know, a color to, to cover my photograph, mm-hmm. so I can only be attracted to your work in a mm-hmm. way. But I'm really curious about uh, this idea and how you use this idea of covering and uncovering identity, I feel, you know, and how it relates to the world and the society we live in that is covering and uncovering our identity or how we can push through and uncovering our face. Because you also work with uh, the covering of the face, Mm -hmm. with hair, uh, covering the face, masks. Mm -hmm. That brings me to the idea of... uh, the the ritual in your in your work Mm -hmm. uh, rituals and the symbolism of ritual and the unseen forces and um, there's there's a lot of um energies and and realities in your work that is unseen and it's very strong Mm -hmm. i think some of the tensions is are really strong Mm,
1: thank you um yeah i love that word tension because i think it's really powerful it's a powerful tool. Um, I think, you know, early on too, I remember having a conversation with someone who was a real horror movie fan and I, I am not, I cannot watch horror movies because I am too um, (laughs) emotionally seduced uh, and I, you know, would be creating a living nightmare for myself if I were to watch horror movies. But I remember him saying that a lot of people say that the first Texas chainsaw massacre was actually the most terrifying even though it didn't have the same levels of gore or you know like and and a lot of theorists say that that's actually because it doesn't show as much yeah. because there's something about that restraint that not knowing the unseen that is far more powerful than revealing all and so sure. I started thinking like, how can I use that to my advantage in these scenarios? So the early paintings, the power dynamics are unclear. You're not quite sure if the female character is a victim in this scenario or a volunteer. They're very binary in some respects. There's usually a male and a female character. Um, they're usually either in this rather beautiful, intimate embrace, um, a sexualized space, or it's there's something violent happening. And you can't quite tell, hopefully, that was my hope, um, in any instance, who has the power in this scenario. Yeah, totally
0: true. Um, totally true.
1: And so, and I've been, you know, using, like, coupling the scene with the unseen to play with that tension, to play with that space and to kind of put it back on the person looking at the image, because I think it speaks volumes about what you see when you see it. Um, Because it's in that almost neutral space where you can kind of project onto the image, what you think is happening, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, And so, but lately I'm using, as you mentioned, those unseen forces in a more kind of holistic or, healing realm like I'm thinking about it more as a like like I have a show coming up at the Delaware Art Museum and I'm using figures from the pre-Raphaelite era and the golden age of American illustration mainly because they have a lot of that in their collection um and I'm thinking about a lot of these women from the pre-Raphaelite era met their end through opium overdose um Wow. It's really interesting. I mean, you could buy laudanum on the corner, you know, and, you know, our, we're globally going through another opioid crisis where it's readily available. People are kind of meeting their end because um, it's a highly addictive drug as well. But I think a lot of women that were associated with the pre Raphaelites, um, they weren't, they had certain levels of, they could maneuver to some degree. Um, but they could only go so far, and I think no matter no matter what, when you limit someone and you create such a like small lane to walk within, um, especially big spirits like some of the women that were associated with this movement, um, I'm thinking about like these almost hallucinatory like spaces. Um, And I'm thinking about, like I said, restoring power to some of these figures. I'm kind of, it's almost like wish fulfillment or, um, yeah, just imagining alternative histories or alternative possibilities that would have kind of created different realities today. And maybe could create different realities moving forward. I mean, that's a little out there and it's a little spacey, but <laughs> it's kind of what I'm thinking about when I'm like conjuring their spirits and um, yeah, just reimagining a different reality for these incredible women of the past, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, that makes absolutely total sense.
1: Does it? Yeah, because,
0: no, I mean, in your work, I see there's something really inspiring about them for our everyday life. Mm. Um, When I look at, I'm just looking at one side of it. Um, Because the power dynamics are so strong. It's almost like it's a reminder that this is what life is about. Life is about power dynamics. and Life is about making sure that you know, you keep your strength, making sure that uh, you go the right direction, that you make the right choices, that it's, it's something constant. Mm -hmm. It's never something that you acquire and then that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a bit like happiness. You cannot say, oh, now I'm happy and I'm good for the rest of my life. (laughs) Or, you know, you know, I have something and it's good for the rest of it. It's in constant change. And, and, and they really remind us that, I mean, I feel that this is life. Mm-hmm. That's why, for me, they so alive. They, they more than painting. They really come alive, oh, and they reach us strongly. And I think this is really amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I also wanted to talk to you about the the power of color and symbolism in your art, mm. because I feel like your use of color is uh, really refined and really strong. You, you know, you use strong colors. Mm. Uh, you use um, a strong mix of colors. Mm. Uh, very powerful again, Mm -hmm. and uh, I like the symbolism because you also use animals, Mm. a lot of animals. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you can talk a bit about that.
1: Yeah, the first time I brought animals into the work, I was thinking about using this animal hunt, it was a boar hunt, and this boar was being attacked by dogs. And I use that as a metaphor for something that was too difficult or painful to look directly at. Mm -hmm. Um, We can almost, I mean, I'm a vegetarian and I (laughs) love animals, so it's actually hard for me to look at animals being hurt also. But this was just a way um, that I could kind of look at uh, a psychological trauma and use it as a stand-in. But since then, um, I've, I've used it in other ways, the animal figures in other ways. Um, so color for me feels like, I don't know if you read this book. It's a really excellent book called Chromophobia by David Batchelor. Um, and in it, he kind of locates these periods throughout history uh, where color has been put up against um, black and white or a range of grays, color is this wild, erotic, kind of uncontrollable element. Whereas, you know, black and white is the rational, it's the steady, it's the reason wow. element. And I was thinking about how You know, like he, he posits, you know, like something like Wizard of Oz, for instance, you know, we have, it's all very black and white. And then once you get into the dreamscape, it's full color. And then there was that movie Pleasantville, not too many years ago, where similarly, it's a black and white world until someone has, um, you know, a passionate kind of kindling of emotion, right? Like and sex is all wild and colorful. And um, so I've used it in that way. Throughout my body of work as well. You know, more recently with the Edward Hopper House Museum, I used it as a, like, blaring, feminine, kind of, like, this is Joe's personality was, like, blaring from the walls. And then, you know, the women become almost, um, yeah, an afterthought when you walk into that space Mm -hmm. because it's so loud with her. You know, I was using it as a, a metaphor for her. but. Um, yeah, right now I'm thinking of the color is like a very feminine space, a very, yeah. Like I love that sense of unpredictability or, um, power that might come from being immersed in a really vibrant space like that. that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that book, but I'm going to go read it right away. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it totally (laughs) makes sense for you. Yeah, absolutely. You have
0: children (laughs) and I wanted to ask you, how do you sustain, um, your creative practice with everything that must be going around uh you and your life and your family and you know
1: yeah i mean thankfully i'm in a economic position where i can afford daycare <laughs> um <laughs> I have a great support structure. You know, my mom lives right next door, which is huge. And she is really involved and really loves spending time with her grandkids, which is very helpful. (laughs) Um, I have, um, you know, an amazing partner who, you know, plays an equal role in their upbringing. So that also helps. Um, But I I mean, it's difficult. It's like really hard (laughs) because as an artist, I should also say my husband is an artist, and so that like we have this understanding where we know what it's like when you're on deadline. And so he will kind of, you know, like thankfully, we don't have too many situations where we're both on deadline, but it when, when we are, it's a very um, fine tuned dance of <laughs> like how we all put it together. And I have to like plan like way ahead of time how to kind of yeah. um, set up my life. So yeah, that's how that works. Um, thankfully, I mean, you know, you know how it is as an artist. It's like, I used to have all this time. It's like I would work the day job (laughs) and then I'd come home and I would still have five hours that I could work in the studio. No longer, you know, now it's until the kids go to bed. And unfortunately my oldest child's a night owl. So like, (laughs) um, yeah, that part's hard. So I have to cram a bunch of work in one, daycare day I don't have weekends anymore in the same way I used to so um but I've learned to be really efficient uh with my time I don't overthink things as much because there's just no time to do that which is a blessing and a curse right (laughs) and I think like as women in the studio it's like that's actually been a really great development in the process is like I just can't sit and look anymore which I just have to do cool. more, you know? And I can look when I'm with the kids. So that's kind of changed a little bit, but yeah. I don't know if that helps. I, I don't know how, I just have my head down and power through most of the time. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. and focus is something important to keep the focus on what we want, I think. Do you have any, um, any last advice you want to share? Anything you learned? your career you want to share
1: I think that just reaching out doing exactly what you're doing right now is really amazing and just something we all need to do more of is lean on each other and support one another and um, connect like just really make connections because what I've been thinking about a lot is what's it all for you know I, I think that the patriarchal structure that we've all kind of been seduced by throughout our lives Um, It has this sense that there's like a ladder that you can climb and that you won't really be happy until you get to whichever rung you're at and then you'll look around and then you'll want more and that's okay. That's great. But it's the waiting to be happy part. That's not okay. (laughs) Right. And I'm curious what a matriarchal society would look like. I have no idea if it'd be any better, but I do wonder if it would be a little bit more, level and a little bit more fertile and a little bit more spacious and more room for more voices and and ideas to kind of mm, you know fester in a good way (laughs) does that make sense
0: that makes all sense to me because i i'm a true believer that um to change the world and make the world a better place, it starts with our heart. Mm-hmm. And it starts with following our heart. And I think uh, a lot of people do not, for many reasons, do not follow the desire their desire, their hearts truly. Mm-hmm. And it it creates a world where there's a lot of unhappiness, mm-hmm. you know, because of the cultural beliefs, uh, family belief system, whatever, or just uh, economics uh, in, a, in a general way. And that if we can be... Each of us a bit closer to our heart mm-hmm. and to our truth then the world will change mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and and this is done one person at a time yeah. you know really and it, it, it seems like an impossible task but i think it's totally possible and i think we see it every day it's like what we were talking about you know uh, uh, earlier uh, when we say it starts with a thought mm-hmm. you know and and how to choose you know to actually follow your heart instead of you know, follow a belief, Mm -hmm. you know. And I was questioning a lot the other day, I was thinking, uh, you know, sometimes we think we don't have a choice. And why is that? And I realize it's because um, sometimes we just don't know better, you know. Mm -hmm. So we think we have no choice. So I'm hoping, you know, that because, you know, we share more of our stories each of us Mm -hmm. Uh, each story is different and we each have to learn from each other Mm -hmm. that's for sure so i'm hoping that it's going to open possibilities yeah
1: i'm reminded by a quote that um someone just said the other day i don't know who but they made the best decision and the best choice with the thinking that they had because that it spotlights thinking as this thing that you're also choosing, do you know what I mean? Like, So if you're in a certain belief structure and you don't see any other way outside of that set of beliefs, you're gonna make a set of decisions from that line of thinking. Exactly. But if you can blow up that thinking and think a totally different set of beliefs, then you'll make choices from that kind of thinking. And that could be just revolutionary for yourself and everyone around you. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I mean, I'm cutting myself, you know, sometimes thinking, but I am blinded. I am blinded by some of the stuff I believe, you know, and I'm trying not to be every day,
1: but I'm still, I am on, at some level. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how convincing we can be <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to our own like detriment. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: And we have to remember, we only have our five senses to understand the world we live in. And that's why the word of feelings and things that are more subtle and uh, more vibrational, more energetic, and intuition mm. and things like that is very important, I think, with, with art and through art, we can reach those levels, you know. It's like mm-hmm. we take them, we transform them, we bring them to our life, and then they go back to the invisible realm, but mm. they're still there. So mm-hmm. I really like that, uh, mm. that idea, actually. Um, you want to talk about your upcoming shows?
1: I have uh, two solo museum exhibitions I'm working on right now. One at the Delaware Art Museum um, which will be inspired by the Pre-Raphaelite collection that I think I mentioned earlier and then the um, golden age of American illustration Amazing. Um, I'm creating this kind of a hallucinatory immersive feminist utopia that I was talking about oh, earlier so nice. I'm very excited about it I don't actually know how to talk about it very well <laughs> because I'm in it Yeah. but um, But yeah I'm very excited about that and then I have an exhibition at the Reading Public Museum um, out here in Pennsylvania and that work will be about they have a large collection of uh, um, landscape painting and I'm making work specifically about the coming-of-age fairy tales, um, not the fairy tales that we're used to, that kind of Disney kind of sanitized um, over the years, but more like these erotic and violent wonder tales that were told the world over by women to women. Um, Wonderful. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes too. <laughs> I love this
0: word, wonder tales. really I mean like that. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. And um, about sharing, you have a great blog on your website.
1: Yeah, I haven't been active with that recently, but um, it it was similar to what, in some ways, what you're doing is just trying to kind of create more conversation in, in the world and yeah. you know the art world specifically. I made it. I started it for my students um, to so that they might see ways to move forward after graduation and kind of just talk to artists about what they've done. Um, but it, it kind of maneuvered into different things too. And so, yeah,
0: I recommend to everybody to to have a look at it
1: on the website because I I think it's really good. Yeah. Thank you. Yay. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Have a
0: great weekend. Okay. Bye. 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 I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please leave me comments or questions. Don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter and follow us on social
1: media. Until next time, get lost, dream and shine.